As Protestants and Catholics, we worship the same God, we just do it a little differently. For example, Protestants worship God in their Bible studies, fellowship, and spirit-filled services. And Catholics worship God in their beautiful cathedrals, liturgies, and sacred traditions. But that's no reason to behave like prideful little children in the Father's house, fighting over who God loves more, just because we think our way is the best way. For there is no distinction between Jews and Gentiles, and there is no distinction between Protestants and Catholics. The same Lord is Lord of all, and is generous to all who call on Him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. We are all God's children, but the enemy has us distracted and divided against ourselves. Meanwhile, he's destroying our families and robbing our children of their future. We must join forces. Let's stop talking about how we are different and start talking about how we are all the same in our struggles. We are all broken and we all need a savior named Jesus. We like this idea so much we created Broken Catholic, the number one podcast in the world for Protestants and Catholics. Now close your eyes and take a listen as everyday Christians reveal shocking before and after stories of how they resisted or cooperated with God's plan for their life and what happened next. Hi, this is Dr. Scott Hahn and you're listening to Joseph Warren with Broken Catholic. You're going to enjoy everything you hear. Today, my featured guest is Ian Simpkins, and he is lead pastor of teaching LPT over at Bridge.TV. That's the Bridge Church out of uh, Tennessee, USA, for some of my overseas uh, listeners. And uh, Ian's going to get into it, right? We want to hear his story today, but you know how we do it here, BC Nation. It's not his story at all. It's God's story told through his life. Right? We're cooperating in God's plan for each of our lives. Sometimes we're resisting it. Mm. Which are you doing, BC Nation? Only you know that answer. So, Ian, welcome to Brokey Catholic, number one podcast on Apple for Protestants and Catholics. Uh, go ahead and just take like 30 seconds. Fill in some of the gaps in that intro, would you? Man, you were wise to tell a preacher how much time he has for the introduction. That's a that's a pro level move right there. By the way, well done. Pro status right here. Yeah. Let's go, <laughs> bro. Uh, so honored to uh, to be a part of this, man. Thanks for the invite. Uh, my name is Ian. Uh, love of my life. Katie's my wife. We got three little boys, six, five, and eighteen months. Born and raised in Detroit. Recovering homeschool kid. Moved to Chicago for school in 2003 and uh, ended up staying there almost 20 years, met my wife. And then we moved down here just south of Nashville uh, almost three years ago to be a part of the bridge. And we're just, we're just loving it, raising our family and, and living the dream, man. All right. So how does one like break into a new territory, right? You moved to Nashville and what you got your own church. You just walked into a church. <laughs> you pushed out an older pastor and said, no, I'm taking over. That. Like you're no longer relevant. Like what was it? Yeah, it's, it's a pretty wild story, actually. We were not looking to leave Chicago at all. You know, my wife's family is all there. And I got an email out of the blue from a guy on staff here who was a part of the search team. Their lead guy had left, gone to Texas. And uh, he's like, hey, you have no idea who I am. Uh, we found a sermon clip of yours. Any chance you'd be interested? And I just, I outright told him, man, that's super kind. Hard pass. <laughs> not not interested so and, are uh, sermon clips online from like you pastors <laughs> i threw you in a box um <laughs> are is this like your online resume for like hire me and invite me to 
pastor your church? Is that what a sermon I, clip is? I didn't know that. I'd never heard of a process like this. Like it was so out of the blue and we must have had some mutual friends or something, but that to me was, was not the aim. We were not dusting off the resume. It was sort of like, Hey, hopefully this clip is helpful. The clip was even a couple of years old. It wasn't like a, a newly curated anything. They just happened to stumble upon it and like, yeah, reach out to him, see what he thinks. So, so then, so then you arrive in Tennessee and they're like, wow, you're much older than you were in this clip. No. <laughs> I have gotten that either you're much older or you're not as tall as I thought you'd be like, oh, that's, a, that too. that's a double man. All right. So, uh, you said hard pass to them. Then what yeah. happened? Gosh, well, this is a testament to them. They, uh, it's the guy, guy's name is Stone. He's still here. Great, great leader and pastor and friend. And he's like, that's totally okay. We're actually going to be in Chicago next weekend. Uh, would love to just grab coffee and talk shop if you're game for it. And I was like, oh, I love coffee. I love talking shop. Let's do it. So this is where I'm not proud of how naive I am because I, I met him for coffee. And I was like, so what brings you guys to town? And they kind of look at each other. And they're like, you do. And I was like, oh, that's embarrassing for you because i i already said no like <laughs> and uh they said would you at least let us bring you and your wife down for a weekend and uh so we came down a couple weeks later and that's i think when the lord started to, to stir some stuff up in us which was very surprising because we were not honestly really even open to the idea and uh and it turns out and god god had other plans for us you know it almost sounds like uh they invited you down for a timeshare opportunity. Just come to the <laughs> seminar, you know, just check it out. Enjoy the resort. Enjoy your stay. Yeah. There's no commitments here, but they the knew they scheme. had you, man. Oh, man. they Well, that was uh, like two weeks before COVID, too. So they had just built a new building. And so we flew back and then the whole world went nuts. So it was uh, it was a really interesting season of, of discernment for us. Wow. All right, man, let's backtrack, okay? Sure. So, uh, obviously, you weren't born, and then all of a sudden, you became pastor of a church. There was like a, you know, something, some things happened in between. Sure. And, um, like, how were you raised, man? Were you raised in church? Certain denomination? Did you yeah. run away? Did you leave? Did you reject God? Did you prodigal son it? What'd you do, man? All of that. All of that. Yep. Yep. My parents became Jesus freaks. When I was uh, uh, real young, and uh, they found a church. The first church they found was like a real hippie church. It was called Shalom House, and like people sat on pillows, and it was very, you know, really wow. ethereal. And uh, that church uh, then kind of migrated to what's called the Christian Missionary Alliance Church. And I, we started going there from the time I was eight or something. And then I, you know, I, um, I don't want to make it sound more dramatic than it was. I didn't hate church, but I, I just, I didn't really care for it. Uh, I went because my parents said, you're going. And I was like, okay. But uh, I had discovered music somewhere in there. So I started playing drums and that kind of became my community. I was playing a lot of, uh, I was playing in different punk bands and got into skating and all that. That kind of became what I thought my life would be. I'm going to learn music. I'm going to move to California and then surf on my weekends and then call it a day. And when I was like 16, our pastor came up to me on a Sunday and he said, hey, I want, I want you to preach next month. And I was like, oh, no, thank you. And he was like, you oh, were 16? Yeah. Yeah. And they wanted a 16 year old to go preach about what? I, that's what I asked him. I was like, what will I preach about? And he said, the Lord will tell you. And I was like, what is what does that even mean? That's just so, so wrong. So weird, man. So, so uh, 
So a month later, I preached this sermon. And when I tell you that it was terrible, that's an understatement. Like it was really bad. And I'm so like now I'm embarrassed because, you know, my family and friends. And I walked off the stage and this like really sweet older woman in our church came up to me. And this honestly, this moment kind of changed my life. She, well, she said two things. First thing she said was that was bad. And I, and I was like, thank you. I'm, <laughs> I'm aware of that. But then, then she looked at me like dead in the eyes and she said, uh, I believe the Lord has given you a voice, so you better learn how to actually use it. And that uh, like sent shivers down my spine, man, because ministry was not on the radar for me. I'm like, I'm gonna study music, maybe counseling or something. So I kind of ran from God for probably the next two or three years or so. So just to and clarify, you kind of ran from God or you ran from God? It was more of a, uh, uh, like, you know, when you get a pebble in your shoe and you kind of just like reposition your foot so you don't have to feel it, you know? Yeah. And so God was like an irritation to your a plans. A little bit. Yeah. It was like a nagging voice. I was like, I can't stop thinking about what this woman said. Mm. And there were like these other like little moments. I don't want to like over-spiritualize it, but there are these other moments from like, and I come from a very like blue collar, rust belt, you know, Detroit born and raised. So even like when I would process it, most of my family was like, do not go to ministry, get a real job. That's not a real job. And <laughs> actually it was a pretty pivotal conversation with my father. I remember him, he sat me down and, you know, neither of my parents went to college and, and uh, he sat me down and said, listen, um, your family is wise, you know, people giving you feedback, whatever. If this is what you feel like God is laying on your heart, like you need to run after that with everything you got. And I don't think I realized how much it meant to me to hear that from my father. Like, yeah, it maybe seems foolish and it's going to take you forever to pay back these loans. Ministry's not lucrative, all these things. He's like, but if that's, if that nagging voice is getting louder, do yourself a favor and run after it. Uh, and so I did. And that's what, that's what got, that's what got me into Chicago, man. And of course that was not an up and to the right journey. You know, I, I started doing internships and I was a pretty idealistic 19 year old, but I, I got a peek behind the curtain and I did not like what I saw for whatever reason. And that kind of rattled me. And I was like, I don't think I can do this church thing. And out of the blue, a church offered me a job that, you know, that I hadn't applied to. And I, I spent a summer in India between college and this job end up get, I got kicked out of my house when I was in India that I was supposed to be staying in. So I ended up sort of like as a, a wandering nomad by myself for two and a half months. And that's a whole other saga. And uh, I came back to this little church in the suburbs of Chicago as the, as the youth pastor. That's what I studied. And then a year later, the lead guy was forcibly removed for a laundry list of moral failures. The whole church started to spiral out of control. They hired an interim guy and that wasn't great. And the elders discovered that we had six months to bankruptcy. No one knew that. We had no idea. And that's when they called me in and they're like, do you want to take a crack at it? <laughs> <laughs> the ship is burning. Do you want a captain? Do you want a captain? You look like a captain. And I'm like in my mid twenties single with a bachelor's of youth ministry. And I'm like, again, a hard pass. And you know what's said, great about that? You can't really mess it up worse. That's exactly what my brother said. That's exactly what you're like. Like, even if you fail, you're going to succeed more than it's failing right now. That's exactly right. <laughs> so funny. That's exactly what he said. And I still didn't want it. Cause I was like, this seems like, like, uh, yeah. Captain of the Titanic. So they asked me to, to pray and fast for a week. And I did. And, uh, I don't know how to say this without, without it sounding cliche. It's like the Lord just did a 180 in my heart where like a week ago, 
I was like dusting off the resume. And then seven days later, I was like, shoot, I think I'm supposed to do this. And, and we ended up serving there 10 years. And that's where I met my wife. And we saw just some of the most fruitful seasons of ministry, man. It was a really, really sweet time. Walk me through that week of praying and fasting. Most of us don't know what the heck that means or even looks like, yet we have these fork in the road decisions Mm. that we need to make that we're avoiding because we don't want to make the wrong decision. Yet the right move is to fast and pray with the Lord, silence and solitude, and we'll find our answer. Like, how did we, how do we do it? How did you Mm. do it successfully where you knew with certainty, this is the move? Okay, well, I will say I also didn't know how to do it. Like, if you talk to me long enough, you will hear me use the word mentor probably 40 times. I am the direct result of a couple of really wise men who have kept me from a train wreck throughout the last 20 years. And I remember feeling really, really burdened by this question. And I asked a mentor, I said, what should I do? And he, he said it to me with such sass. He's like, well, obviously you have to fast. And I was like, why would I do that? And he said, because it's biblical. And I, it was the first time I'd ever heard that. And I honestly, you can laugh at this part if you want. I didn't know how to do it. So I literally, uh, I found a nearby forest preserve and just like walked into the woods. Cause I thought the woods feel spiritual. I guess I'll, I I'm pretty I'll, sure there's no food in there. <laughs> yeah. Right. Or nothing that I'm going to be able to eat. Right. Just took my journal and kind of, so I honestly didn't really know how to do it. I've learned a little bit since then, but. Uh, so I don't think there's any like magic pill. I, I became very convicted though, that when Jesus says things like when you fast, Jesus is assuming his followers are fasting. It's not if you fast, it's when you fast. And that for some reason was a light bulb for me. Like this discipline, this practice that I've never considered, you know, up until this point, my first 20 years of my life, he's like, yeah, when you fast, here's some things to consider. And, uh, that has become kind of a benchmark for me when faced with a fork in the road. And again, we've adapted some of our practices and some of the specifics of how we do it. But um, yeah, to put it bluntly, man, I'm a a believer because it was a very, I was very surprised by the level of clarity I got. I was fully anticipating this is my time to exit stage right. And by the end of that week, it was, it was, I don't know how to describe it. It was unmistakable. And honestly, it wasn't even just like, oh, I think I'm the one that's supposed to bring this church out of it. I wasn't convinced that maybe I wasn't the one to give this church a good Christian burial. Like I'm, I'm like, all right, God, I'm, I'm open to even that. If that's my, if that's my lot here just for the next six months, but it was unmistakable. And I can look back now and see what a grace that was to me because I learned so much with those people. I learned how to preach and how to lead and how to cast vision. And I don't, um, yeah, I don't, I, I don't know it would have happened in the same way had I not. So I'm, it was a really hard season, but I'm really grateful for it. So BC Nation, many of us are looking for clarity, mm. especially spiritual clarity. What does God want you to do about the situation you're going through right now? What's the decision that he wants you to make that you're just not making? And we use these excuses of, well, until I know for certain, I'm not going to do anything. Right. But yet we don't do the biblical proven practices of praying and fasting. Right. So in three minutes or less, we're going to put Pastor Ian on the chopping block here. 
and he's going to teach us how to fast properly. Mm. In three minutes or less, how do we fast properly when we have a meaningful decision to make with God? Yeah. That's a great question, man. Thanks, man. I kind of do this for a living. Uh, clearly. I will. So the caveat is I think that there is wisdom for all different kinds of fasting. You know, people will say, oh, I'm fasting from social media or I'm fasting from my phone. I think that's good and wise. I do think there is something specific about depriving the body of something it needs to survive. Your body doesn't need Facebook to survive. That's a good thing. I know establish. people who would argue with you on that. I and that's fine. And this I'm no women women that. over fifty. Nah, 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 <laughs> All nah, you nah, moms. I'm not, I'm not throwing any stones. No shade. I can't I believe Ian said that. I can't believe he just kicked you all under the bus, put I you in a category. Use, you're going to use AI and make that come out of my mouth. I can tell. <laughs> uh, but I, there was something very specific for me about, and also, and I had to learn this the hard way. The goal is not fasting for answers. It's fasting for intimacy. When I made the, the Say goal. Say that again. The goal is not fasting for answers. It's fasting for intimacy. The goal is always intimacy with Christ. It's not to be a better faster or to be a better prayer or to have more humility or be more gentle. Those are all, that's all fruit stuff. The root is closeness and union with Jesus. And when we miss that and jump right to the conclusion, the output, the result, uh, that's where I think, at least in my life, I start to fall off the rails. So it's become for me, oh no, I had to make this decision. I've had to like move a little past that and say, I, I need to recalibrate my heart towards God's because this decision has so much gravitas and it's not like a magic pill, you know, like it's, I, I heard a story about a guy that went to mother Teresa when she was alive because he desperately needed clarity. And he said to her, I need, I just need the clarity that you have. And she laughed at him and she said, I've never had clarity. What I have is trust. I'll pray that you grow in trust. And that, distinction for me fasting doesn't always give me clarity but it always deepens my trust that even if i come out of a seven day or 48 hour or whatever it's like i still am not quite sure what to do sometimes but like i feel like my my awareness of god's presence in the ordinary common moments is heightened and there's i just don't think there's anything more important than that and so that's become the shift for me it's not to like lose a couple calories or like tone up for the summer or to coerce God to like, now you have to tell me because I did the thing you said I have to do. Now nah, it's about union with him. And when we, when we miss that, it can lead us to all sorts of dangerous places. Thanks for not answering. <laughs> <laughs> My pleasure. <laughs> you pretty much didn't teach us anything. Thank you. Um, <laughs> about fasting. Uh, but but you taught us an important shift, and that is to stop focusing on the fruit, the outcome we're looking for. Don't focus on the fruit. Focus on the root. Focus mm -hmm. on the root. The root, the source of everything in our life, of our life, which is Jesus, which is a, yeah. which is God, our Father, the Holy Spirit. Yep. And focus on the relationship and that connection with Him, right? And the fruit will develop from right. that intimacy, yep. from that intimacy. So uh, is there, I'm going to give you one last shot at this. Like, <laughs> like, what do you recommend? 
I mean, obviously you can't recommend you're not a physician or anything. So there's your disclaimer. But when it comes to getting spiritually shredded, (laughs) having that clarity that comes as a byproduct of the intimacy, Mm. which comes from the, the silence and the fasting like what's a good rule of thumb at least you've experienced in your life is it three days of fasting is it two days of fasting is it bread and water fasting is it just giving up chocolate fasting that you know you think you need to live on like what is it what is it because i know people personally that fast every single friday on bread and water all day Mm -hmm. from morning to night i know Mm -hmm. others that do it every wednesday and friday Mm -hmm. um and and for some that could be extreme, even unhealthy. Yes, physically unhealthy, maybe spiritually very healthy. Mm. Like what? What do you suggest here? I will first point you to a resource uh, called Practicing the Way. There was a a pastor named John Mark Comer, and he actually left his church a couple of years ago to start this nonprofit called Practicing the Way. He so just wrote just a that. great book. Great book, phenomenal. He's a What's great the writer. book? It's, uh, I think it's called Practicing the Way, actually. Yeah. What's the new one? Do you know the new one? I think that's what the new book is called. Oh, yeah. okay. Maybe it's the old one. Then. He, um, he wrote uh, Ruthless Elimination in a Hurry. That's what got yes. him on a lot of people's map. Yes. Um, and he's, he's an interesting cat because he has, uh, he comes from Protestant circles, but has like a, a deep appreciation for church fathers and mothers and some of the mystic tradition. Like he's a, he's just a really interesting read, but the part of what is, I think brilliant about practicing the way is, and it's always meant to be done in the context of community, much like anything else, right? Like if you want to get shredded physically, any guru will tell you, find a workout buddy. Like that's, you're just, your odds of succeeding with doing it with somebody. I think the same happens with spiritual disciplines. They're like, I'm going to try and be better at fasting by myself and tell no one. I'm like, do it in community, man. Like that's always, I think always better, but their kind of special sauce is they create these really comprehensive guides that give you the practice and then a stretch practice for a week and like dipping a toe in, and there's podcasts and other resources to explain why. And there's a whole other element of fasting that has to do with like solidarity with the poor and these things that maybe people haven't really considered, you know? Uh, and there's all sorts of caveats, like you were saying. Some people have medical hurdles that make it – it's not a one-size-fits-all. I do think, to try and get to the specifics of your question, I do think some level of regularity is really important. It's the same way. If the only time we ever pray is when we're desperate, it's it's hard to know the voice of the shepherd, man. If, like, I'm only reaching out to him when it's DEFCON 5. If I'm only fasting when I come to a fork in the road, like, we will treat it like a like a silver bullet. Right, like God, some pinata in the sky. So I, I encourage people to figure out some kind of regularity. I know plenty of people. They're like, every Wednesday and Friday, I just skip lunch. It's not too tragic. It's not. It's not over. It's not overbearing. But I take those lunch hours, and I just pray. I take the time that I would be eating, and I just commit to intimacy with God. But having some kind of regularity, some kind of discipline or practice, we would call the rule of life. Mm-hmm. Uh, that has been, I think, pretty transformative for me rather than seeing it like as a once a year fasting summit. You know, we, we, it's so easy to exist in these like the pursuit of these mountaintop moments, which is what I think a lot of times conferences and retreats can do. I'm like, oh man, what, what does a life committed to this kind of intimacy look like? So 
Mm. Uh, I think that I think the part of what makes it hard to answer is that it, it isn't a one size fits all. But I do think much like generosity, it is meant to stretch us. So if we don't feel it to some degree, or if we could do it without ever thinking about it, or someone's like, you know, I'm gonna skip breakfast, but I already don't normally eat breakfast anyway. You're like, well, that's not really fasting then, in a, in a biblical sense, because it's there's no stretching that's happening. There's you know? no sacrifice, right? Exactly. No suffering. Exactly. Suffering. All right. Let me ask you a question. Sure. Because that's what I do in an <laughs> interview. What's the biggest? most monumental thing, most significant, meaningful thing you have learned about God? Don't overthink it. Your heart already knows the answer. Yeah. What is it? It's the story of the prodigal son, man. It's that just when I think I understand the depths of God's love for us, it just gets deeper. Like that's, that became more clear to me when I became a father, you know, I, I had been teaching for 10 years before I became a dad. And I remember people saying things like that. And in my arrogance, I was like, no, nah, I think I got a pretty good handle on this. And then in that NICU room with my firstborn man, I was like, I feel like the floor just dropped out. And the depths of God's love just got deeper and deeper. I've, I've, I've become such a companion to mystery. I think in my 20s, it was all about certainty. How can I cross every theological T and dot every I and fig, like figure God out? And, and today, I just prayed into this morning, man. My prayer, more often than not, is deeper waters, Lord. Just bring me to deeper. I want deeper waters, deeper waters. And his love for us, the story of the prodigal son, the father, running after while he was a long way off. The son didn't even make it to the house. And the dad was like, I was already searching for you. And I come sprinting out. Doesn't even let the son give his list of excuses. He says, throw the biggest party our family's ever had. Like the extravagant nature of God's love to me is so, it's so unsettling to me because so much of my life lives in kind of transactional categories. You scratch my back, I scratch yours. This is an appropriate level of affection for appropriate level. And, and I feel like, I feel like Jesus just demolishes so much of that. And, uh, it's exciting, but also so unnerving because <laughs> as a teacher, as a lead, you know, as a shepherd, sometimes there's like, a, I can feel very, all of my insecurity sometimes is, oh, I feel like I should have a better handle on this. I just, man, if the Apostle Paul's going to use the word mystery a bunch, maybe we should get comfortable with it too. And uh, it's just so much better than I think I ever could have imagined. That's that's the thing that I feel like I'm learning right now. You know, there's a lot of trust that's required when we speak of God mm. and on God's behalf to others, mm. right? When we invite others to come and see yeah uh the master the messiah um and they're like well tell me about him <laughs> like i have no idea <laughs> i've been right. around him uh-huh but i can't fit him into the limitations of language even yes or my own mind i can't exactly get him to fit anything Mm. which is what makes him God. That's the point. 
He's yes. un he's unfittable. <laughs> yes. Yes. And but come and see, come and see and and experience him. Right? Um they say you don't uh people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Right. And and I think if people would just go to God and let him care mm. on them, love on them and just feel and experience him with an open heart without all the agendas in the past and how people have presented him and just yes. gave him a fair shake of yes. meeting him like the first time mm -hmm. and saying, okay, okay, God, I know who I think you are, but I give you permission to show me who you really are. Mm. I want to meet you for the first time. Break, break through all my constraints. Yeah. Yes. I, I want to feel you. I want to experience you. And, uh, wouldn't that be great if a few of us did that? You're revolutionary, man. It, it really would, right? It really would. All right. You've had so many stories as a pastor. So many people you've participated in their lives, in their mm. relationships. You've participated in their suffering, in their pain. You've wept with them. You've celebrated with them. Share one story, just one. Mm. That was so meaningful to you. Where God's presence, God's existence became undeniable to you. Mm. Man, what's what's really fresh in my mind right now is, is, um, uh, we just did, uh, a funeral last weekend for a really dear friend, a really, really dear friend. And, um, she, she died way, way too soon. And that is one of the odd things of being a pastor is, is you get invited into these like deeply intimate moments. You know, I've held people's hand as they breathe their last breath. I've been the first person someone has called in the case of a suicide before the police are even there. Like I, it is so it's such an awe. It's weird to call it an honor, but it is, it's an honor to be invited into those moments. And, and funerals feel like that for me to shepherd a moment like that. And it was one of the most moving things to hear people, the collective community. And I, I, I loved this woman. Um, but this community did too. And to hear the testimony, the stories that just emerged of the way the gospel became clear to other people through her. I was like, I can't believe I get a front row seat to this. Like this, uh, this one evening is enough for a lifetime. Like that feels so strange to, to say that that was a takeaway, but to see not just the beauty of community and people like bearing one another's burdens as, as beautiful as that is, but like the way the gospel shown through this woman, I'm like, I can't believe I got to break bread with her to know her family and the fact that we as a, as a body of believers, the fact that there were people who aren't Christians, but they loved her came and they heard the gospel. They heard exactly what you were saying. Like the, the wild depths of God's love and the far reaching expanse of his forgiveness. Like, like because of her, like we, we went to church, man. And it was just like, it was so, Yeah. 
it was it felt like living in the already not yet like it was both deeply bitter and also so sweet and to me that is like such a that just feels like a clear picture of what it means to be human like to know to know to have the perspective of the kingdom but also like you were saying there's also real suffering and pain here and how do we help people uh see the way god is moving even in our darkest moments and that gathering for me was just like i remember saying quietly to myself um this is why i love being a pastor this is why for me pe people will say things like oh, isn't it so fun to be a guest speaker people say that all the time and i'm like there is parts of it that's really fun i don't want to like it a new place a new environment none of it holds a candle though man to being able to walk week in and week out with this community and i know that when i say this line in the sermon that it's hitting that person specifically because they're walking through a divorce and they just lost their house and they just sent their kid off the cot. Like you can't compare to that. So like, to me, it's, it is, yeah. It's reminding me again and again of why, why I just feel so grateful, so humbled to be able to, to be a part of this community. And uh, yeah, that's, I feel like that's a real, a real joy. It's beautiful, Berla. Thanks, man. I could only imagine when Jesus preached mm. and, he, and he knew the minds and hearts of all those in attendance. Gosh, yes. And how his word would land differently mm. for each. The impact. Yes. There's joy in, in being a pastor, and I suspect, and there is sorrow in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's also moments of confidence where mm. you're like, man, I was born for this. Mm. God put these talents and abilities in me and I'm, I'm good at what I do. Mm. Not in a prideful, egoic way, but just recognizing the excellence within each of us. And then there's times when we doubt ourselves. Mm. And it could be a week later. <laughs> Yeah. Yes. <laughs> right. We're at the mountaintop. Now we're in the valley of death. Yeah. Instantly. Yeah. Instantly. And we forget how good mm. the presence was with God. And we forget how clear the calling is he gave us. Mm. And it's like it's 30, 40 years ago. And it's just yeah. a week later or a day later because something yeah. traumatic happens. Speak to us about a time when you wrestled like deeply wrestled with self-doubt mm. maybe even self-worth yeah um clarity on the calling like mm. i don't think i'm meant to do this anymore that's more often than i'd like to admit man i'm not gonna lie i i have uh really struggled with imposter syndrome most of my life sort of the Oh man, when people find out how unqualified I actually am, like this all goes away or why in the world out of everyone here, do I get a microphone? That doesn't make any sense. Like I'm so intimately aware of my own brokenness. I've really come to love, you know, when Paul talks about, we can actually not just be okay with our weaknesses, but like rejoice in them because Christ shines all the more brightly. The weakness isn't so that you can like live in your self-loathing. It's like, no, 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 man, the more, the more you are like emptying yourself, the more, the more like his love shines through. So I, I have a new relationship with that, but man, the first couple, maybe decade of preaching, I'm, I was always like this close to vomiting right before preaching. Like it just weighed 
so heavily on me. And I, and there's part of me that always wants that. I don't ever want to get to the point where I'm like strutting up on stage. Like, yeah, I got this. I've been doing this a minute. Like I don't, to me, that's not, that's not the aim, but I've had to, like, I have a framed thing. Um, it's called a liturgy before taking the stage that I read every Sunday before I preach. And I've, I've really fallen in love with the liturgical because some of those things are the things that kind of either when you're feeling a little too confident yourself or you're like in the pit of self-loathing, some of these, these, these ritualized practices and liturgies have a way of like breathing new life. And that's not to say that I, I mean, I still bomb just like anybody, you know, there's still Sundays where you, you walk away like that was not my best work. Um, but it also really, really, it breaks my heart, man. How many pastors I meet that are so isolated, you know, Barna does research every year on the, the loneliness statistics of pastors. And every year it's abysmal. I'm such a believer and you need people to look you in the eye and remind you, help you distinguish the truth from lies. Because if I left my own devices, man, I will ruminate on lies and it can, it can send me to some dark places and to have people, uh, I had a mentor that used to always say, find people who love you, who aren't cowards. Because there's plenty of people that love you, but they won't tell you the hard truth about yourself. You know, they won't tell you you have spinach in your teeth. And there's plenty of people that aren't cowards, but if you don't know that they love you, it'll be hard to take their criticism. So I've always really held on to those two, people who love me, but who aren't cowards, to kind of help tell me, hey, help, help me see what it's like to be on the other side of me. Like, what am I missing? What are my blind spots? And, and Frederick Buechner had this, this beautiful definition of vocation. And he said, uh, some, I'm going to butcher it, but he said, vocation is where our great joy and the world's great hunger intersect. And that has become such a life-giving perspective for me. Pastoring gives me so much joy, but it's not just about my joy. It's also, where's the hunger? Where's the ache in our community? Where's the, where can I also be helpful and to bring some, some gospel clarity or hope? And that's the kind of stuff that helps get me through those seasons where I'm like, I'm full of self-loathing and doubt and insecurity and something happened online and someone dunked on me on Twitter. And then I got an email from someone that thinks I'm a heretic or what, you know, that stuff happens. And it all happens the same week that you're also visiting someone in hospice and then you're officiating a wedding. Like it's so, there's so, there's so much whiplash. Prayer and liturgy and community are like, it's like the neck brace to help prevent against the whiplash. And I've just, I've just found that to be so helpful, even when I don't realize in the moment how much I need it, you know? I do. I do. I started this uh, program for dads over 45 mm. um, to get physically shredded, mentally shredded, and spiritually shredded. We call mm. it shredded fathers. Love it. And, you know, uh, interestingly enough, God brought us a, uh, a pastor mm. and he joined the group and, um, you know, he's a spiritual father. He's not a dad. He's actually in the Catholic space and mm. uh, he's a priest and, um, man, the stuff he shares in there, mm. like some of the Protestant guys that are in there, they're like, dude, I used to think of catholic priests in such and such in such a way of course right and you you have like shattered everything for me <laughs> you are so transparent yes about your human struggles and you're a man just like the rest of us and 
I've never looked at you uh, a priest that way. Like you're always, um, you got to be at this standard, yes. right? The pulpit separates us. Yes. And right. I never saw the humanity, but man, like you've taken away all my excuses just as mm-hmm. a man. And like, there's so much, I think there, mm. imagine having a, like a place, like you said, where pastors, priests, right? Protestant, Catholic, they could come in and just be human. Yeah. Because where is it safe for them to do that with their right. own congregations? They right. can't. They'll be mm-hmm. judged. They'll be falsely accused, ridiculed, whatever, just for having normal human emotions, <laughs> dealing with normal human sufferings. Right. It's like there's no space for them. Yep. Right? So that, that that's the aim there is to create mm-hmm. that, that space, a confidential place just for a spiritual father's human dads, you know, just to come Mm. in and interact and take down that wall between the clergy, so to speak, Mm. and, and the laity Yes, and see, holy cow, we're all the same, man. Yes, that's right. I love that you're doing that, man. It's really, really needed. Honestly, thank you for that. Because I think you're right. There is a, I think what's really, what needs to be talked about is that a lot of people in leadership like the distance. And we got to be very careful about what pedestals we allow to be built. You know, they, I, I meet a lot of guys who are really type A, you know, kind of involved in everything in their organization, really involved. Um, but when it comes to their congregation worshiping them, they're like, I can't help that they put me on a pedestal. And I'm like, yes, you can. You don't take that posture with anything else in the organization. We need to proactively. I, it's a, it's a, it's a weird experience to have to, consciously knock myself down a couple rungs every Sunday. But I know that if I don't, then mm-hmm. that distance grows. And that feels very counterintuitive. Like I'm going to tell the story where I'm definitely not the hero. And I definitely <laughs> make an idiot of myself a little bit. Again, within reason, you know, you don't mm-hmm. want to treat preaching like a therapy session either. That's unsafe for you know everybody. But sure, I think, I think we're seeing a turn right now. I think what you're experiencing in your group, uh, my prayers that we start to see more of that more spaces where people can say, Hey, listen, because of the cross, because grace declares it's actually not about how good or righteous or holy or put together I can be, that that means I get to opt out of the treadmill of trying to impress you or trying to pretend more successful or more put together than I actually am. Like it's an invitation to actually drop the facade because the facade's not serving either of us. And man, the more that we create spaces like that, I mean, I just, I'm hopeful for the future because I think it's what I think it's what we need. It's an invitation to truth. Yes. Right? That's what it is. And and Jesus is the truth. That's so right. it's an invitation to Jesus, right? That's right. All right. We are at that part of the show. <laughs> Some call it the favorite part because it's the end. Others <laughs> <laughs> others uh, call it the, the sad part because it's the end. Whatever you call it, we're at what I call the confession round. And mm. this is the opportunity for you. I'm going to ask you to 10 quick fire questions. You'll have about three seconds to answer each. Don't overthink oh it. It's just for fun. It's like a game show minus the prizes. <laughs> and just... First thing that comes to you, we're going to have a little fun with this. Are you ready? Love it. Let's do it. Ian, what is your favorite thing about God? 
Hmm. That there's always more to know about him. He's infinite, right? Infinite, yes. What is your least favorite thing about God? When he disagrees with what I want to do. It's so annoying. <laughs> I believe we're all struggling with something at any given moment of our life. It's just part of the human condition. What are you currently challenged with right now, either professionally or personally? Hmm. Keep coming back to the word distraction. I'm really interested in how easily I and I think others are distracted by lesser things. This is the enemy's number one tool, tactic, strategy for pulling people away from God in this generation yep. is distraction. Agreed. If he could get a man or woman drifting, drifting, yes. he wins. Yep. Because eventually they run out of time. That's right. Right. What are you most afraid of? Oh, man. Missing what matters most in the pursuit of something I thought was good. Yeah. What did you spend way too much time doing this past year? Past year? Oh, man. 2023. What did you waste time on? I Probably something silly like Netflix or something. So silly. It really is. He's like, but I watched The Chosen. Does that count? <laughs> yeah, right. Does that redeem it at all? Is that <laughs> yeah. Redemptive Netflix. Uh, what secret fear do you have about people? That I'm only valuable to them if I'm achieving or accomplishing something. Lie. Lie, my brother. Such a lie. Yet we I believe know, it, isn't it? I know. I, yeah. Yep. Yeah. What do you wish you had learned sooner about God? That prayer is an invitation, not an obligation. That he desires it. It's not just a thing that I'm supposed to do, but it's like he pursues it and longs for it. I, I wish I would have learned that a lot sooner. Yeah. What's a new habit you're going to create in 2024? It's actually, you know, you're talking about shredded. It's it's fitness related. I've been I've been a lot more on the ball with with physical fitness this year. Very cool, man. What's a bad habit you're going to break? Doom scrolling. Yeah, man. Stop that scroll, dude. So Stop stupid. the scroll lest you become a troll. So stupid. <laughs> Pick three words to describe who you are now. Curious. Adventurous. Present. Pick three words to describe who you were before. Before. You surrendered the rest of your life to God. Self-involved. Judgmental. Nearsighted. And last question. If you could come back to life after you died, you could look your wife and kids in the eye, your family and friends, and tell them only one piece of advice about God and relationship with him. What would you say to them? Can I borrow it from someone else? I don't know. Uh, Eugene Peterson's son at his funeral said, my dad only had only one sermon and it was four lines. It was something like, God loves you. He is for you. He's coming after you. 
and he's relentless. I would say that to my wife and kids. I want to say that every day to them now, to be honest. Yeah. Stop running away from him. Start running towards him, right? That's right. That's right. For sure. All right. What's one action BC Nation must take this week hmm. if they want to run towards God? Like, what's a practical thing? What advice would you give the one listener who's ready? Bro, this one sounds so simple, but it has revolutionized my life is a simple commitment to scripture before screens. I was like most people, we have our phone plugged into our nightstand. It's the first thing I was reaching for in the morning. It's the last thing I was looking at before I went to sleep. And I'm not going to prescribe any particular methodology, but scripture before screens every day will not only revolutionize your soul, but it starts to rewire neural pathways. It changes the way you see the world. Like it is, it's so simple. It's so achievable. Go get an alarm clock at a thrift store. If you have to plug your phone in, in a different room and uh, yeah, scripture before screens. I like it. BC Nation, if you enjoyed this episode, I invite you to write an honest review on Apple uh, Podcast for my guest, Ian Simpkins. Um, write something about him that you liked. Write something about him that you disliked. He's a pastor. He gets it all. Like, like he's, he's not scared of your little words and your two thumbs Typing, 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 and then you hiding behind, you know, this invisible wall called the internet. You wuss. Not what? No, bring it. What? Bring it. Bring (laughs) it, people. All right. Ian, uh, how does BC Nation find out more about you if they so choose? How they connect with you, get in your world? Hmm. Yeah. I mean, my Instagram handle is just Ian Simpkins, I-A-N-S-I-M-K-I-N-S. Or you can email me anytime you want, just Ian at bridge.tv. Those are probably the best two ways. Cool. And then what's your personal website, right? If people want to book you oh, yeah. or ask you to come pastor their church. <laughs> no, nah, I'm not going anywhere, man. Yeah, it's just iansimkins.com. And there's a, a really lame GoDaddy website that I built myself on there that looks terrible. You know, I went there today and um, I agree with you. <laughs> Thank you for the affirmation. I you know, I, I am here, but you know what? That's probably going to generate traffic to your site because now everybody's going to want to go feel better about their websites by yeah, looking right. at yours. I live <laughs> to serve, man. Whatever I can do. <laughs> you know, like you said, we're bringing you down a few notches That's here. Right. All I right. <laughs> uh, Ian Simpkins, thank you for being on Broken Catholic. I wish you God's love, God's peace, and more of God's joy in your life. Thanks, man. Likewise. It was a joy. Thanks for the invitation. You're welcome.